Thank you. And when we applaud that way, it's not so much for those who've played as it is a praise to the Lord, isn't it? We're grateful, though, for their ministry to us in music. Have you ever felt treated unfairly? If so, you may be able to identify with one of the characters in our text today in Genesis chapter 16. If you're childless and you have watched longingly as your friends have had children, you may find someone in today's text to identify with. Or if you've ever taken a job and then you were assigned responsibilities that you hadn't expected, only to find that you were in trouble then because of performing your job, you will find an incident in today's event of Genesis chapter 16 to identify with. Life is not fair. At some point in our growing up, we have to learn that lesson. Life is not fair. God, however, is just. Yet in the affairs of life, in the flowing out of the circumstances of the people we meet and the events that take place around us, very often we witness injustice, and we do in today's text. In this text, we read about the birth of Ishmael. And the chapter before us seems to unfold actually in four chapters of the story. To each one of these chapters in Genesis 16, I'm going to assign a title. Chapter number one I've entitled, Ten Long Years. We see this in verses one through four. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian, her maid, whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid, because I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. In chapter 15, we observed God establishing a covenant with Abram, in which he again promises to his servant a son. One who would come from Abram himself. But you see, time is marching on. Abram had entered Canaan at 75 years of age, believing God's promise that his descendants would be as the sand upon the seashores. He is now 85, and Sarai, his wife, is 84. Their biological clocks are winding down. How is this promise from God going to be fulfilled? Couples who are struggling with infertility can perhaps identify with the frustration that Sarai felt. And so she, in this case, suggested a scheme in verse 2. Undoubtedly, she did it with good intentions. The promise of a son had, after all, been made to Abram and not to her at least at this point. The suggestion that she makes here regarding Hagar was one that fit well with the cultural values of that day. In fact, what happened here conforms even to the legal codes of those centuries. Back in 1901-1902, there were some excavations at the city of Susa 
the archaeologists uncovered a seven-foot-high stone monument called a stele on which were written some laws that were applicable to a very complex uh, urban kind of culture. These came to be known as the, the Code of Hammurabi because he was the king of Babylon who had these laws inscribed on the stone. Hammurabi lived about 300 years or so after Abram. And so this was not inscribed in Abram's day, but it reflects the kind of thinking and codes of law that were in existence in Abram's day. And Law 144 on this stele says that there is, it is permitted for a slave to be exalted for this purpose in a home where the wife is unable to bear children. It was, in a sense, a law for a surrogate mother. And that is what they followed. That this is what Sarai uh, followed. Now, did Moses, who wrote these words, approve of what was uh, schemed out here? Well, his language does not seem to indicate that. In fact, the verbs that are used here to describe what happens very closely parallel what is said regarding Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. In both of these incidents, there was an attempt to gain advantage or even blessing by circumventing God's plan. And so because he uses language that reminds us of Genesis chapter 3, Moses is subtly saying to us that this was not something that was approved, but it happened. This story, like several of the things that have happened in Genesis already, was an attempt to preclude the coming of the divinely promised Redeemer of Genesis 3.15. You say, well, how is that? Because, you see, this produced a son of Abram, who was of the line of uh, Ham. Because you see, the Egyptians were descendants of Ham, the son of Noah. The divinely promised Redeemer, however, had to come through the line of Shem, the son of Noah. And that was the case with Sarai. It is not the case with Hagar. And so here we see an attempt on the part of Satan, most likely, to bring about a son of Abram who could not fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15. And so although this was a scheme that was culturally acceptable, it was not pleasing to the Lord, yet Hagar became pregnant and was with child. That brings us to chapter number 2, which I've entitled Trouble at Home begins in verse 4. It says, Abram went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Hagar became pregnant, and when she became pregnant, she began to look down upon Sarai. She made light of her. She slighted her. The word despise here is the same word in, as in Genesis 12, 3, for God 
gives the promise to Abram that those who curse him, he, the Lord, will curse. And so it, it almost sounds as though Hagar was cursing Sarai in despising her and making fun of her. And so there's this tension building up. The handmaiden is pregnant with Abram's child, and she is despising and making life miserable for Sarai. So who do you think hears about the problem? That's right, Abram. The husband hears about it. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. He looked at her and said, You did this to me. I gave my maid to your arms. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was cursed in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. When she said that, she wasn't saying, Good night, honey, I love you. May the Lord judge between you and me was a statement that is used other places in Genesis between two people who didn't trust each other. And they said, because we don't trust each other, the Lord judged between us. Sarah is a little upset. And so, of course, she goes to Abram. You see, Sarai was not a strong believer, but she was a very good blamer. So Abram responds, and he permits Sarai to handle the situation as she chooses. Again, within the Code of Hammurabi, in Law 146, written 300 years later, the reduction of a person to the former status of slave is permitted. And so that's what Sarai did. She had exalted Hagar for this purpose of being a surrogate mother. Now she places her back in slavery and makes life miserable for Hagar. Life is tough. Like somebody said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And Hagar is unhappy, and Abram is unhappy. Warren Wisby writes regarding this by way of application. When we walk by sight and not by faith, we get impatient. We scheme and blame others. Then when things go wrong, we try to get rid of our mistakes. Isn't that right on with where we live? The commentator George Henderson says, Insolence in Hagar produced jealousy in Sarah. The home of the friend of God, once the abode of peace, became one of bitter and unending strife. There is trouble at home. That brings us now to the third chapter, which I've entitled Rendezvous in the Desert. Because you see, Hagar leaves. She flees from her mistress. Verse 6 says, Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. This is the first time that we have seen this figure that is called here the angel of the Lord in the Bible. When you see something for the first time, you need to take note of it. And we remind ourselves that the angel of the Lord was no mere angelic creature, 
as the name might imply. But this was a special messenger of the Lord, indeed the Lord himself. And thus the angel of the Lord is often spoken of as the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. That is, before Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, he appears in the Old Testament as this figure, the angel of the Lord. And so we can say it is our Lord himself, the Son of God, who finds Hagar there in that wilderness. I like the way it says it. It wasn't that Hagar was looking for him. It was that he found her. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? Does that remind you of another question that God asked in a garden one day of Adam? Where are you? Did God know the answer to that question? Of course he did. And obviously he knew who this was that he was talking with. He calls her by name and identifies what she is. She is Hagar's slave. And then he asks her this probing question. Where did you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, and we have a rather long paragraph here of some statements that the Lord makes to Hagar there in the wilderness. You see, he had been watching these events unfold. He had tracked Hagar through the wilderness, and he came to her at this well in the wilderness. May I say that this is not the last woman at the well to whom he will reveal himself. The Lord's words to her are marvelous words. In verse 10, they are the words of a prescription. You see, Hagar's life was miserable. In fact, that Hebrew word is found three times in this chapter, tucked away. Not so obvious in the English translations. But her life became harsh. It was a miserable existence for her. She needed to know how to get out of that misery. And so the first thing the Lord tells to her are words of prescription. In verse 9 we see them, rather, where it says, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. We have an usher up here, please. Thank you. Verse 9, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Just pay attention here. That will take care of itself. These are words of prescription. Let me explain to you why the angel of the Lord tells her to submit herself. By the way, the word submit is one of these words for misery. He says to her, go back and be miserable again with your mistress Sarai. Why would the Lord say that to her? Is the Lord telling people who are abused to go back to the relationships of that abuse? Is that what he means here? There are some who would probably use this verse for that purpose. That is not the meaning of the Lord telling her to go back 
to her misery. You see, she, Hagar, had cursed Sarai, despised her. What had the Lord said in Genesis chapter 12 to Abram and to Abram and his descendants? The one who curses you, I will what? I will curse. That is what Hagar had done. She was in danger of the curse of God. And so the angel of the Lord says to her, Go back and submit yourself to Sarai and bless her. Because the Lord had also said to Abram, The one who blesses you, I will what? I will bless. That's why the Lord told her to go back. She had to go back in order to be blessed. So it's a prescription, you see. Here's what you need to do, Hagar. And then the Lord gives her a promise. The blessing begins to unfold. He says in verse 10, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. This is the same thing that God had already said to Abram and will say again. I will bless you with many descendants. Chapter 17, verse 2, almost the identical language. The Lord speaking here to Abram. I will multiply you exceedingly. But here, the promise is to Hagar. That's the promise of God. She had to go back to get the promise. But this is what God promises her. Then there's a prophecy. Beginning in verse 11, the angel of the Lord says to her, Behold, you're with child, and you shall bear a son. She did not know this yet. So the Lord says, You're going to have a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. And so this name is not one that was given by, to, by Hagar. But the Lord himself says, Call his name Ishmael. Ishmael, which means God hears. And the angel explains that because the Lord has given heed to your misery. There's that word again, your affliction, your misery. And then the Lord says, and he will be a wild donkey of a man. I've known some people like that, haven't you? A wild donkey of a man. And that sounds like it's, it's not a very pleasant prospect because we, we think of donkeys as rather stubborn beasts. Well, in fact, they can be, but in those days, a donkey was a very valuable beast because, you see, a donkey was one who bore burdens. A donkey was a, an economic asset. And so the Lord is saying that this is a positive thing regarding Ishmael, but not everything is positive. Look at the text. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And then he says, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. When it says he will live to the east of all of his brothers, that can also be understood to mean he will live in the face of hostility with his brothers. And so there's some positive things said and some other things that are rather difficult. But nonetheless, the Lord gives these predictions, these prophecies, 
She will have a son. His name will be Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in the face of his brothers. And the Lord gives her this information, and then she gives the Lord a name. Verse 13, she called upon the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Thou art a God who sees. Here's the name of the Lord that we see here, El-Rohi. El-Rohi. You see it in the name of the well in verse 14. The well where she was was named Be'er Baha'i Rohi. The well of the living one who sees. Here's one of these great names of God that we see in the Old Testament, El-Rohi. Here was Hagar in all of her misery at this well in the wilderness. And El-Rohi knows. And he understands. He sees her plight. And he comes to be kind to her. And you may be at some well today in the bitterness of being treated unfairly. And you wonder, does anybody know? Friend, there's a God who sees. And he will meet you there at that will of your bitterness and show kindness to you. Listen to his heart. Listen to his words. Hagar, though she was not without fault in what happened here, had been treated unjustly. After all, this pregnancy was not her idea. Abram and Sarai had greatly wronged her. She was a lonely and distressed girl. She had little hope because of the injustice that was done to her. But Jesus Christ steps in, and he meets her there, and he treats her with grace as he does with all who will look to him, all who will listen to him. Donald Gray Barnhouse writes, Hagar learned that all which happened to her was known to the Heavenly Father, who was interested in her sighs and groans and cries. She had seen that God was able to meet her in the midst of her need and to extricate her from all her difficulties. In the midst of trouble, We are tempted to think that our case is desperate, but at the fountain in the wilderness, he teaches us that he looks upon all our afflictions. That brings us to chapter 4, a brief chapter simply entitled, It's a Boy. Verses 15 and 16. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Time is marching on. And still Abram does not have the son of the promise. And there's a reason. There's a reason. We'll talk about that another time. Those who are familiar with the New Testament will remember that this story is an allegory. It's an allegory regarding salvation as a gift of faith apart from human effort. Read about it in Galatians chapter 4. Paul says that Hagar represents the law. 
And Sarah represents grace. And he says the promise of God cannot be obtained through human efforts of rule-keeping, through the law. But God's promise of salvation, rather, is gained through believing in the gift of God's grace. It's a wonderful allegory of this historical event. Are you today depending upon Hagar, as it were, to earn your own way to God? Are you trying to get God's blessing, to try for advancement the human way? Or will you come to God in faith and believe the promise of God, which is righteousness by faith, given to all who will trust in the Savior? What this story teaches us devotionally is this, that when we fail to act in faith, we create trouble in the lives of others and consequences for ourselves. Did you hear what I said? When we fail to act in faith, we create trouble in the lives of others and consequences for ourselves. Think about this. Think of the pain that Abram and Sari could have avoided if they had patiently believed God. Home problems. Misery for Hagar. Future stress that will come into their home when Isaac is born. And then generations of antagonism between the two branches of Abram's family through Ishmael and Isaac. Antagonism that is still being played out today in the Middle East as the descendants of Ishmael are in the face of, with hostility, their brethren, the Jews. All of that could have been avoided if only Abram and Sarai had patiently waited upon God. And so let us learn to act in faith so that we may know blessing. And that blessing may be experienced by those around us. Instead of acting in impatience and unbelief and bringing trouble into our lives and theirs. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, in the chapters of this story of the birth of Ishmael, we are wonderfully reminded that you are El-Rohi, the God who sees. And you are the God today who sees our need. And you have come into the world in the person of your Son, and given yourself for us. You have provided what we have needed through the death and resurrection of the one who appears here as the angel of the Lord. We bless you that you have met us in our miserable sin and have brought to us salvation by faith as we partake of these elements at the table, we pray that you would help us to partake of them with gratitude and with the realization that they represent Jesus identifying with us. For we remember that he too was treated unfairly. He did not deserve to die, but willingly did die 
for our sake. Amen.